what would you say or speak to in a sense of being a leader in business that correlates with being a teacher to students? Yeah. Yeah. Being a person that people want to look up to, being a person that people, they look to you because they feel you have the answers. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. All right, here we are back on another episode of Move Entrepreneur Evolved, and I'm excited about today's guest. We're going to have a lot of topics to talk about. I've gone through some things. I'm getting to know him myself. And with that said, we've got here Kurt Cooper, the founder of Ecom Automation Gurus. And his most exciting thing happening right now is he just dropped a book. It is on Amazon called Scratch and Claw. What is up, Kurt? How you doing, man? Good, Jason. Thanks for having me, buddy. You got it, man. You got it. So um, what I like to do in here is talk about people's story. And at the end of the day, that is really what this journey is about, right? And I think that looking through your story and your book has scratch and claw, you know, that isn't just, uh, you know, take an elevator button to the top, I'm assuming. So let's kind of go back a little bit. Um, you have education background you were a teacher you were a coach why don't you share a little bit about where that kind of started you let you leave high school and then boom you know you, you had to find a position and what did that look like yeah no definitely yeah so I'm, I'm from Aurora Colorado um, southeast of Denver by 20-25 minutes uh, born and raised in Colorado uh, I didn't really leave the state until I went to college I went to the University of Kansas on a track and field scholarship um, so athletics have been just a a an immense, immense, immense big part of my life. So it's really kind of founded and shaped kind of where I'm at, you know, as a person today. But um, coming out of college, I wanted to get into the sales, you know, sales industry. I really had a, a desire to get into pharmaceutical sales. Um, but I'm sure most people, you know, listening to this, if you got out of college and you look for a job, they always want you to have X, Y, and Z as experience. And, you know, I, I was kind of, where do I find the experience? So I did, uh, I had a kind of an inside scoop. Somebody, you know, kind of pushed me towards the um, paycom and paychecks and ADP and like some of the payroll, you know, the payroll services. So I went through the whole process of applying and had the opportunity to interview with each of these companies. And a bunch of them actually got down to the final interview thinking, hey, it's my opportunity. I'm going to get this job. And they went with the other person. So it's kind of, kind of like uh a wake up call thinking like, you know, I can get this far, I can get this close, but what did the other person have that I didn't? I never got to meet that other person. Uh, yeah. So I kind of took a step back and realized, you know, honestly, my passion was in sports. My passion is, is, is in competing. And my dad was a high school teacher and coach. My grandpa was a high school teacher and coach. They both at, well, my grandpa had passed since then, but they both had, you know, encouraged me to be in, um, you know, kind of in that, that sports and teaching arena. So my dad encouraged me to, to go back, get my master's. Uh, I became a high school teacher and coach in 2011. I was coaching football in the falls, track in the spring. And then eventually I started coaching the golf team and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the opportunity to work with kids that were very similar to me, somebody that wasn't the world's greatest, uh, greatest student, mm -hmm. but you know, I had, I had, you know, kind of my place and my zone was, was being an athlete and competing. And, and, uh, you know, I went to school, never ditched class, had, had decent grades. I wasn't a straight A student, but I wasn't failing classes by any means. And I just felt that I had the opportunity 
to go back and motivate those kids and, and, and help them find an opportunity in sports that could also get them, you know, further their education. So I uh, ended up, yeah, becoming the head track coach and, and just really kind of made it my, my personal mission to, to give, even if it was one kid, which ended up being a whole lot more than that, the opportunity to sign an athletic scholarship and continue their education and find me as just you know, as somebody that, that helped motivate them and lead them, you know, along the way. So teaching, even to this day, I can't say a bad thing about the, the results of the industry. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, I'm just a guy that is wired a little differently. I, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart and just didn't sit well with me that I could go and give and bust my ass for people and, and for, you know, to, to lead them and, and coach them. And it didn't matter if I was the world's greatest at it, if I was the worst, you know, it's kind of like what people say, uh, you know, what do you call a person that, you know, finished the last in, in last in their class in med school, a doctor, right? So I was, I was a teacher and I was only paid what the chart said I was going to be paid. It didn't uh, matter if I was getting awards or if I was just skating by and, and dipping out, you know, the last second of the school day. No, I was staying until 7 p.m., 8 p.m. coaching track, coaching football on the golf course, like, which... I don't know. So I wanted to, to stop trading my time yeah. for a paycheck. And I wanted what my effort is, what, you know, what my zone of genius is. I want it to be equivalent. And I, if it's going to change people's lives, I wanted to be paid as yeah. somebody that's changing people's lives. So um, 2013, I got into the, to the Amazon space and fast forward 2019, I got out of teaching and have been, you know, a hundred percent full-time entrepreneur, business owner, investor, you know, since then, and there's no looking back. Now, when you were at that time in, in you know, the schooling arena, obviously there was a competitive nature that was in there. I think you said something quite interesting. It's like, I never got to see my opponent. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like you put in all this work to try to get a, the job that you were thinking you were doing, you were in sales and you never really got to see that opponent. And I think that there's, that's interesting because you really were just sat at a place where you kind of couldn't figure out why, why were they better than me? And I think that kind of has an interesting element to it. Had you started or tried any kind of, you know, uh, sell anything in high school? Was there anything in you that was like, I got to try, maybe I can sell this, or maybe I can make this better. Or did you have any of those pieces of the puzzle you think maybe in ninth grade, 10th grade and kind of those components? Yeah. Well, in college, I, I got involved in some like MLM, like selling like energy drinks and stuff where you'd buy your, your inventory and then you'd sling them and you'd hope that the people buying them would be like, Oh, this stuff's great. Can I get in? And then they go below you, you know, the whole MLM thing. Um, so that kind of is what got me kind of intrigued with the whole thing. And then when I got out of college, so before while I was in the process of applying and, and doing these interviews, I actually ended up going in and becoming a, uh, a wholesaler and then reselling um, energy armor. So it's a, a bracelet that's based on negative ions and volcanic ash and all that stuff. I was literally slinging these things through malls, like in, you know, ended up having a different, different uh, little kiosks and all that stuff <laughs> and got totally into it, like super geeked out about it, but yeah, I wasn't making millions of dollars by any means, but it, it literally just got that fire going where, I knew that for every single one of those that I sold, my income went up. So it was, it was, it, you have that motivation and that fire to drive and, and, you know, 
at that point, it didn't really dawn on me that the back end piece of it is how can, you know, even though it's supposed to be changing people's lives, it's such a, a small, minute, you know, somebody puts it on and either they notice a difference or they now don't. Is this, is this, um, cause I, I kind of got, you know, I got some extras from your book. I wanted to make sure I did my homework. And yeah. there's a story that says one of my first businesses called Bass Bands. My buddy Ted and I literally built little leather base bracelets with laces and we fully customized them through manufacturer in India that we worked with. Is this the same story? Or was this one that was inspired from that? Yep. So this was, was inspired beyond. So this was after, after that time. And yeah, I mean, we, there were literally lace bracelets that you could customize the laces to team colors. You could put names, team names, saying slogans on them. And the whole purpose was to build them up so that they'd be a, uh, like a giveaway or they could run fundraisers on it. Mm -hmm. They'd buy them from us at this cost. And then, oh, you bought them for a dollar a piece. I could care less if you sold them for 10 because people would buy them for 10 to support your team. So our whole goal was to get this into like MLB ballparks. Like, I mean, we wanted to get it into like the AAA parks. We want to get into, you know, we want it to be the first 10,000 guests through the door today are going to receive, yeah. you know, a baseband bracelet. And what were those, what were those, what were those guys on the, what was the, uh, Fat head, you were trying to be fat head for bracelets. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, something where like it just people got it, it was trendy, it was cool, and then pivoted to blitz bands, which was a football version of it. But in retrospect, the reason it never took off was that I was still teaching, I was still coaching. That was what my um, my my time commitment was to. I didn't realize that, hey, you know, if if I cut that off and I committed myself to traveling and meeting with different organizations, different teams, you know, parents, you know, whoever's running them and really pitch the product, we would have knocked this out of the water. So in retrospect, I know, I know the product was a winner. We didn't, we didn't, it was the scarcity mindset. I just couldn't commit myself because I was afraid of failing and my security blanket that was keeping me warm and paying my bills. I couldn't get rid of it yet. So so what was that at that point at that point? And and as we go through here, a lot of your book, as I go through here, um, you talk about your big shift was in e-commerce. It was the shift of um, Amazon automation and building those things out. So we'll get through to that. Um, but what was, I think it's a really good story to talk about. Uh, and that is basically you had a cushion and then you had to make yeah. a choice. And then that risk, what was the day that that happened? And what was kind of going on in your life at the time? What, it, what was the risk? Yeah, with the baseband's? No, with the just the transition from um, you from now. Teaching, we just talked yeah. about kind of having the cushion of of working and in a job that you knew every day you came back. I'm sure that you were. Yeah. I mean, you got a great personality. I'm sure you were liked. You know, um, I went through some of your stuff. There was a a letter in your Facebook going back, and someone had made a. Uh, you had posted it, and they said, you know, good luck with you, Kirk. Uh, you know, you really inspired my life and it was a handwritten and it didn't look like it was from, you know, a 50 year old man. I looked like from young, someone young. So you were probably yeah. leaving something that um, was some legacy there. Yeah, no. And, and it was because I, I was super passionate about it. It wasn't like I would just kind of go through and was a hermit and just was kind of skating through my days. Like I gave everything into my teaching and coaching and in full transparency, I know a lot of people, when they make transitions like this, they just cut it dry and then it's sink or swim. I was, I was, you know, moonlighting it. You know, I was I, at night, I was working from 10, 10 p.m. till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And then getting up and going to athletic weight training at 7 a.m. Mm. Like it, I was running on fumes most of the time. So I, I was very fortunate that I built this up and was able to become 
you know, I had, you know, multi-millions at that point saved up while doing it before I was like, okay, I, I'm, I need to commit this. I need to do this for myself. I need to do this for my family. I, I'm going to be a more energetic, enjoyable person because honestly, that's where my passion's at. Like helping people find ways to create passive income or helping people find ways to just create additional income. Even if I'm just coaching them and they're operating their stores on their own, you know, that that's okay by me. It's just really no different than coaching somebody to be a 400 meter champion, a pole vault, you know, state champion or getting them an athletics. Club. It's no different to me because I'm, I'm changing somebody's life and hopefully changing their course for the better. So I, I wish I could sit there and make it sound super heroic. Like I just cut it and went from making 60 grand a year. And now I have to figure this out. I literally was doing it at the same time and got to a point where it's like, I just, I need to commit to this full time because I'm onto it. I'm crushing it. And I'm, I'm changing people's lives. I've got to probably put the, the teaching and coaching, you know, in park and fast forward. Now I'm coaching a, a six, seven-year-old baseball team and I absolutely love it. And, you know, so I'm, I'm getting that, I'm getting that coaching. I'm satisfying it. I'm fueling that hunger again. So I get, it's been a win-win all around. So we, we are talking a little bit offline. We were talking about how you know, I was in e-commerce as well and talking about yeah. at the time when I had transitioned and we were talking about, um, you know, Amazon, we were having a good conversation about that. Where did you find it? Because I know anybody, um, you know, that has a lot of people have evolved through the internet. Some people, depending on what your age is, uh, it was something that was then just right in front of you. Um, but where was the moment that you went? There's something here. Because I remember the moment when I looked at the internet and I was like, you're trying to tell me that I can put something out there and somebody all over the world has a chance of seeing it. That was just astronomical, you know, and it shifted even to Facebook and all those things. What was that moment that you pulled something up? Did you see something on Facebook? Did you see something on Google? Did you buy something and you just saw it pop up? Did somebody tell you about it? What was your thing? Yeah, for me, it, it's because that in 2013, Amazon was making their climb at that point, you know, 2011, 2012 is where it just really kind of started just taking off. So I was literally sitting there one night and, and in 20, 2013, I had just bought my first house. So I remember sitting in the living room and my good friend who was then my roommate, he was renting out one of my rooms. We were sitting there and I was just flipping through it. And I just said out loud, I was like, man, how do you get on here and sell products and list this product? Amazon's not selling all this product. They're just the platform. How do you get on and figure that out? And whatever reason, whatever it was that night, I went to bed and I couldn't fall asleep. It was just thinking like, man, if I could put something online and sell it, I'll continue to teach coach. I even made that, that comment that like, even if I started making millions of dollars, I'd never leave teaching and coaching. I love it so much, but I literally, I had to figure it out. So that next day I literally scratch and claw i'm trying to figure it out literally to the to the you know the the pits of the internet and i've started getting on youtube and finding people that were doing amazon fba fulfilled by amazon so it, it got me to the point where i started kind of doing some minor research i didn't do any courses or anything like that but i tried to figure out exactly where i could source some products the process and i you know i went all in i was about 18 grand into the whole process and felt like i was i fell on my face um Eventually, I had to figure out how to optimize my listings, how to improve, uh, improve the photos and, and the whole aspect of it to eventually catch my stride, take things off and, and excel. So um, is in 2013. Yeah, 2013. And then I, I quickly pivoted to drop shipping, though. 
and that's kind of really where you know ninety percent of our business is nowadays. What um, what was the product that you chose? So my first first couple of products, I had uh, baking mats were my probably my biggest seller, like a silicone baking mat. Um, the size, you know, had all the measurements up top, inches. It had you know centimeters below measurements on the side. Had different uh, measurements of circles, so that you could. You know, if you're making pie crusts or pizza crusts, and it's just a kind of an all-around um, baking mat that I got off of Alibaba. So, you know, I sourced it off of the internet overseas in China, uh, negotiated out some pricing, and, you know, bought, bought a, gosh, what I do, probably 200 or 300 on my first order, and had some other products too, but this one ended up being the, being the big hit of my, my initial. How did, how, did you, how did you pick that one? Yes, I was, I was doing product research kind of on my own without using software at this point. Like I'm literally trying to figure this all out. So I was literally just clicking back and forth on Amazon, looking at uh, competitors, you know, similar products. And the big thing that I found was, how are you going to make this product more appealing than the other products? So that's what came down to how you listed the product, how you, you know, the different photos you made for the product. So there was competition on there. So it wasn't like I just found some item that wasn't on Amazon. And once I figure out how you could reposition yourself and optimize your listing, boom, it's like clockwork at that point. And it, and it seems so, so easy and effortless. And, and it's not always easy. It's not always effortless, but it then leapfrogged me into some other products. And then eventually I fell in love with, with drop shipping, you know, and to this day, we drop ship on Amazon, Walmart, eBay, you know, Shopify platform. Forms, Facebook Marketplace, Etsy, you name it. So in that journey, um, you went from that next move and you basically said, hey, I have this item. And then you basically went, you know what? There's something else that's out there. There's a, there's a, and it seems like just from getting what I'm getting here right now, uh, there came, there came a teaching component and you went, you know what? Hey, you know what? I could do this for myself, but I also think that I could have people that I teach. And I noticed that on your story, as I went all the way down, there was a young guy that was on there that you had been teaching. Um, and he had shared his story about, hey, you know what, it's not easy, but this is where it was. When did you connect those two, where you said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to maybe teach people to do this? Yeah, it was uh, late 2014, early 2015. Because I got to the point, I was doing a probably about $50,000, $55,000 in, in you know, net sales uh, a month. And man, it was time consuming because I had to look for new products. I had to list the product. I had to fulfill orders, respond to messages, like a lot went into it. And I got to the point where I was like, I just gave myself another job. I was still getting up teaching, coaching. Like I just gave myself another job and I was strapped for time. Uh, I wasn't enjoying, you know, the little free time I had because I was just thinking, should I be in there fulfilling more orders? And I then started looking for a, a team or, you know, a VA that I could train my system to. And I ended up finding, I went through a bunch of interviews and this is all on LinkedIn actually, and found a gentleman and his five buddies. They had a small little firm and they were doing a lot of a la carte stuff on, on Amazon. They didn't drop ship. They didn't understand that, that model. So I spent three months, three nights a week, just working, screen sharing, and I'd just be talking through it. And they all sat in there and, and were sponges. They'd ask questions. And then after three months, I spent you know, time where now I was still logging in, but they were operating the store and I was watching them operate the store. And through that time, I was recording, making courses. And once my store went from 50, 55 to 100, 150, 200, 300, 400K in revenue a month, the light bulb went off. I was like, 
I'd be crazy to not want to one, help these guys build a team two build a service that has been literally coined and literally started from my efforts and my training, my, my systems and methods and help people make money passively. So I was like, because at that point I just figured out that I was making more money now while still paying somebody to do it because we we're able to increase the productivity. So that's when the light bulb went off and we, we started, you know, bringing on a couple of new members of the team. I only brought on 10 clients for about two years, 10 people. And we ran those stores for a couple of years. I had to make sure that we had a system and made sure that, you know, what type of curveballs were going to be thrown and were we able to, you know, to capitalize on those, you know, how to pivot when Amazon makes changes, they're ever evolving. And now Walmart does the same thing and that's okay. It's their system. You know, it's their, it's their playground. We're just playing in it. So we bring in our systems that allow us to be successful within theirs. And fast forward, we've got just shy of 500 VAs now in our system in seven different buildings. And we have uh, over 400 clients. So we have over 400 clients that we are helping uh, and 90, 98% of them do the done for you, you know, setup. We've got under 10 that we do like personal coaching and, and just mentorship so that they can run it on their own. Um, and it's been awesome. Awesome. It's, you know, the same coaching and inspiring people. And when you can help somebody make money without having to be there present to run the business, that is the coolest, coolest, coolest thing in the world. Well, I noticed um, back, it was in 2019 in December, it was actually the last day. And you said our new offices are almost set. Uh, the team will be in the new office and uh, in our new equipment, 2020 will be the best year yet. Little did you know there's going to be some shifts to the economy. Uh, with that, maybe you tell me what your thoughts were immediately when that was when that had shifted, you know, because that is literally December 31st, 2019. And that's when, you know, we're obviously we're we're Couple at we're at squeeze, later it was... squeeze time. What was going on yeah, with you? That, oh man, nobody nobody has asked that question. And I actually absolutely love that because of how this did transpire. So so that team is in the Philippines and that team was actually built to really build and evolve our wholesale FBA, which was at that time, that was a new service that we were offering. Um, so that's been our latest service and evolution in EAG is, is that. So we got everything all set up and boom, what March, eight, February or March, when it seemed like the world was, was coming to an end, it felt like it was a panic moment for sure. But the truth be told, we had more people reaching out, more people, you know, purchasing from our current clients. At that point, we were, you know, over 300, over 300 clients, um, maybe 200 high. I would have to kind of see of that time of year. But we had so many people that are like, wow, this time more than ever, I, I don't have a job anymore, or at least they're, they're put on, you know, leave. And I've got to find a way to make money. So people were looking to the internet and we're coming out of their comfort zone and looking for opportunities like this. So our service accelerated big time as far as new clients coming on, but the stores that we we're already operating, um, I'm pretty sure it was March and April ended up both being bigger than November and December, which just doesn't happen. Fourth mm -hmm. quarter, people doing their holiday shopping. Those months ended up being bigger than the previous November, December. And then uh, coming all the way around, you know, gosh, you know, to the next year, it, it, it still outperformed that, that same time of year. And then current time now consistently, 
I'd say just the average month to month, there's still more online sales. So what I think has happened is the older generations who weren't as savvy and uh, technologically, you know, just, just comfortable in buying online, it was introduced to them. And now they're like, whoa, this is the coolest thing in the world. I can buy this, this, and this all from my computer or on my phone. And more of them are doing it on a baseline basis. So now it's, it's kept the e-com space at a, in my time frame of 2013 till now, an all-time high. And it's probably an all-time high just because that's, that's what people are comfortable doing. And people still have that mindset where I don't need to leave the house. I don't want to leave the house. And in Colorado, at least, they're starting to recirculate the whole mask thing. And people are getting you know, kind of scared again, thinking there could be another shutdown with this new Delta sure. variant. Sure. So while it's, it's tragic that, that what's going on, I, I'm very blessed. And EAG is blessed. Our clients, everybody that's been involved within that have been blessed because it, it is literally just accelerated and leapfrogged. And it's just being in the right industry at the right time. It's there was nothing negative in the business world for us that came, you know, came from COVID. I think I'm going to tap a little bit into, because you were a a teacher and a coach and uh, moved is, is really our coin is basically, um, you know, how Nike is to athletes moved is to entrepreneurs. And that's really the brand and our model and everything like that. And so, because I do, I love sports. I, I mean, I play tennis, I play golf. I like to fight and things like that not physically in the streets. Yeah. I love the sport, but at the end of the day, um, what would you say or speak to in a sense of being a leader in business that correlates with being a teacher to students? Yeah. Yeah. Being a person that people want to look up to being a person that people, they look to you because they feel you have the answers. Now I found that as a teacher and found that as a coach. And even in my, my, you know, world of teaching, you know, I was teaching athletic weight training, health, I taught health to, you know, the freshmen and sophomores, um, uh, you know, different sports classes. So it was still really aligned with me and my personality and <clears throat> as an athlete, but even more so in the business world is, is you want to be somebody that, that people look to and, and, and feel comfortable that you have mm-hmm. the answers. And if that's my, my team below me, you know, all 500, you know, just below 500, I want them to look at me and know that you can be cool, calm, collected and inspire, motivate, take care of people. You know, that's, that's kind of what I look at as, as a leader. Cause at the end of the day, I, I don't have all the answers and I, and I equate probably 20% of my business comes from maybe my efforts. There's 80% more out there that I've hired experts who have evolved, grown, and, and become the leaders that they are within our system. So there can be multiple layers of leadership, and I firmly believe in it because at the end of the day, if you hire experts to do a job, you know, I, I want to give time back you know, to myself and to my family, and I keep working my way down less and less and less and being more of the face, inspiration, and letting people know that, hey, this is a good thing because we've got some rock stars that are literally in place. And, and I have so many clients that compliment that, that aspect of, of our company is, is they feel that they're cared for and they feel that they can hop on the phone and call somebody. And it's not me, which is cool too, but I have somebody that is, is going to take care of EAG like it's theirs because they feel like it's, it's their calling, that they're in their space doing what they do best. And it's contributing to the greater good of, of helping other people find passive income. 
That's incredible, man. I've got a couple of things. There's a couple of things that I like to do here. I think you'll enjoy them. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is that you had mentioned Alibaba. And the one thing about Alibaba is they are a lot bigger than Amazon. A lot of people don't know that. They're massive, right? So there's a couple of news headlines. I usually kind of do this as like a, a breakaway, right? It's like, let's pull this up and see what your opinions are on a few of these. The first one is um, Alibaba came out with a news headline. Um, I want to say it was maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, maybe it was even before that, if I didn't look at the date. But they're trying to claim that they want to come direct to consumer within 72 hours. Have you heard about that? I have not, no. Because uh, to be honest, now we've kind of evolved to having different suppliers. So I haven't actually bought on Alibaba since probably 20, 2016. So no, that's, that's interesting though. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I, yeah, I, I'm going to look into that because that's, yeah, that's a, they're, they're a player. That's for sure. People don't realize it, but they are, they are. And so I thought that that would be interesting to kind of see from there. And so maybe you find that out, something to go from there, but there's, a, there's another one that I, uh, that I thought was uh, quite interesting. So what I do is I grab a news piece uh, that I find and inside here, uh, let's see kind of what your thoughts are. Um, this is the headline. This was August 25th was today. Uh, and the headline uh, was why Amazon is now pledging to make good on bad third-party products. Amazon has long contended that it shouldn't be held legally liable for defective products sold by third-party merchants on Amazon, maintaining the liability rests with the seller, not with the marketplace facilitating with the sale. I'm going to go ahead and put a caveat in there, and this is something that happened actually to uh, part of my family this last week and maybe you've seen this yeah. one before um but you get the gist of the news that's coming out they're trying to basically say look we're not responsible anymore we're saying to look you're responsible and they're basically trying to just take liability that probably has to do with a lot of volume that's coming in and they're going look i don't know if we can handle it all they're very big anyways yeah. um but it was only about two weeks ago uh there was uh, someone that um in in my family that had uh, ordered for, for their birthday, they ordered a projector and the projector was like $3,500. And it was about a week late. And when it showed up, there was a box and there was uh, two, two packs. It was a pack of socks, black socks, size seven. Uh -huh. And I, we laughed, we're like, what's going on? Well, I go on to Facebook and someone had the exact same thing with a totally different product and showed up with black socks. So kind of combining those two, what do you think, maybe in your opinion, it is a news headline that just came out today, so that's just right off the cuff, but what do you think um, happens in liability? Because, you know, I remember when I was in e-commerce heavily, I knew that it was, we had about a 7% return rate. That was pretty normal for us. We didn't, you know, I was in the sunglass industry. And in that return rate, I just knew that that was what was coming back. And it really didn't matter what it was. I kind of just accepted the liability. In this headline, it's basically trying to say, you know what, you're not the producer of the item. You also aren't the quality control of the item. Where do you think that that goes? Or what do you think that your shock factor instinct is on that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because we we prep our clients when we try to explain to them that Amazon, they'll put accounts into review, suspension, and this basically gives them a time to go through and, and analyze the business and, and from their perspective, because Amazon's getting scammed, I mean, every day. 
there's people that open up a like a digital based LLC. They do it all online. They uh, have a uh, like a remote LLC or sorry uh, office. So they have a um, you know a remote office, and then they end up creating a bank account on like Payoneer all online. And they get on, they create a, an account or they purchase an existing account, which is a strategy that we use in a very positive sense where it already has a bunch of seller feedback and helps us accelerate our clients' businesses quicker. But they do something similar and then they get in and they start selling product that they have no intention to fulfill. And they try to get to that first payout in hopes that they'll receive two, three, four, five grand, whatever. And then Amazon catches on that. These people are complaining, never saw it, never received it, never received it, never received it. And they shut them down, but they ran away with five grand and they can't be found. So that's on an extreme side, because how are they going to hold them responsible at that point? Amazon's going to end up biting the bullet. So I think with the new CEO, that, that change is, is taking place, that uh, he's coming from the, you know, the web services side of things. He's coming in with his own kind of evolution, his way to kind of put his spin on it. I, I get where they're coming from on it. Um, you know, if, if products showing up, you know, I know that I'm not touching our products. So there's kind of that, you know, that uh, excuse as well, but maybe it's one of those things that's kind of passed on where if so-and-so is fulfilling your product, then, you know, you, you go back and, and it's something that you have to work out with them. Cause that's kind of how we handle it anyway, because we, we don't want it to escalate in the process. If somebody has a damaged product, well, we, we want to get them the correct product and in good condition. So we're going to do what we did again and replace the order with our supplier and have it shipped to them. So I get where they're coming from on it. And I think to a certain extent, it probably needs to be re reworked or rewarded um, because I don't think anybody in that situation are doing it maliciously. And it's not something we would be doing maliciously. We want to make sure that we're partnered with Amazon, not to the point where they're running sellers off because uh, they have that, you know, that effect on a lot of people, actually. One of the things that you talked about um, was you started outsourcing. And uh, one of the things that we do uh, in my company as well is that uh, we outsource and I help people outsource and outsource their business. And I thought, you know, I, I didn't even know you would bring this up and it really wasn't meant to be a plug for me as well. But ultimately at the end of the day, I thought it would be an interesting conversation after just talking with you. When you went to outsource, what were some of the things that stuck in the back of your head? Because I know there was a ton that were in mind, but what were some of the things that were like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. What were some of those things for you? Well, I, I was afraid to take my hands off the steering wheel because that's kind of what you're doing at that point is when you, you're opening yourself up, it's, it's going to go one way or it's going to go the other. And I mean, I, I was sweating bullets in the sense too, like I did all of our phone calls and selling and client support. I mean, I was doing everything. I was on the front lines. And while I knew that I needed to remove myself, I was literally, literally, literally scared and afraid to do it. And I had people from the outside kind of telling me that, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this or this is going to drive you into the ground. And I actually had an individual who kind of fell into my lap, who I had hired for a few just a la carte services for us. He was helping us with some, um, some listing of FBA product for our drop shipping clients. And he was the most incredibly like detailed just an just hardworking individual and everybody that worked with him literally went out of their way to compliment, you know, his work to me. And he shortly after, you know, asked me if there was an opportunity to work with me full time in any capacity. And he doesn't do that for us anymore. He actually runs our whole client client support. 
So he takes the phone calls and emails and he's our front line that he's talking with our clients and biggest blessing to, to EAG and this business is been having incredible people like that fall into our lap and to be able to put them in a position where one, they can be successful and they can appreciate the opportunity. But at the end of the day, it's me appreciating them and what they've done for EAG and my company, because it's allowed us to grow, you know, just leaps and bounds and to be able to help even more people. And it's going to allow us to help, you know, more and more down the road. So I was scared to do it because I felt like it was my baby. I needed to keep my hands on the wheel is even if I was just working myself to the ground and it's becoming, you know, a slave of my own business. It, it was a blessing when I finally did it. So it's now you do, do your stuff out of, you go to India or you go to Philippines? Where do you, uh, where, where, so we where, do have, we have our, our wholesale team is in the Philippines, but otherwise we've got, you know, our, literally the 400 and like 80 VAs is out of Bangladesh. Bangladesh. So now have you gone? Have yeah. You gone? What's, have you gone? I've been out there once. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I've done, yeah. I've done India as yeah. well. Interesting. And um, I think we could probably go on this for hours, but like just culture shock of understanding and, you know, how much that um, at, when you treat people the right way, how much we're still people. I utilize a thing in my company and I call it the triple ripple effect. And at the end of the day, uh, when you do outsourcing, when you, especially when you look at the US, um, I always talk about play the game, the players play because the people are playing this bigger than you. I mean, this is, you know, they just don't want the small guy yeah. to do it. And one of the things that oh, I talk yeah. about a lot is that, you know, when you do sell something, either there's somebody that you're, in your case, someone's maybe doing it out here, they're benefiting in a financial way. They're also able to maybe get something a little less expensive and they're able to get that to their customer on maybe the consumer side. The other side yeah. is when you're doing your outsourcing, the effect is also that you're giving a better holiday to somebody in another country, right? You're making their life better. And then your life is getting better. So I, I kind of call that the triple ripple effect that when you do that, you're just literally spreading everything that's out there. And I, I thought that's pretty cool. And I think it's kind of cool that, you, you know, we both kind of have that same feeling, kind of that passion. I'll transition to just um, a few more things here. And that is um, maybe you can talk about if somebody was going to do an Amazon product, uh, what are maybe three components that make a good listing? Yeah. Well, so first and foremost, I think the most important thing is properly researching your product, because if 